0: Welcome to Beyond Conventional Marketing, a marketing leader's guide to digital consumer experiences. You're about to hear an episode full of insights from marketing leaders to help you build meaningful moments and relevant digital experiences for your consumers. Join us as we hear from marketing leaders about their experiences with data and personalization, digital marketing trends, and expert advice on how to grow your business and connect with consumers. Let's get started.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Conventional Marketing. Diane is at jury duty today, so I'm your guest host, Anushka Lokesh. And joining me today is Orchid Bertelsen, who is the COO at Common Thread Collective, a growth agency focused on D2C businesses. And most recently, she was the head of CX Strategy and Innovation at Nestle USA. Hi, Orchid. How's it going?
2: Hi, Anushka. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited about this episode. But before we jump right into it, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you ended up where you are.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, that's uh, a <laughs> very... Um, long and I think convoluted journey, but, um, you know, as you mentioned, I'm currently the COO at Common Thread Collective. Uh, We are a growth agency focused on D2C businesses, largely, you know, doing between two and and $30 million in annual recurring revenue. And I'm very new to the role as I was most recently head of consumer experience strategy and innovation at Nestle USA, uh, where I was for about six years. So my team was really focused on two sides of the business, One was owned platforms and communications. So think brand.com, D2C, merch stores, um, as well as CRM and consumer data strategy. And then the other side of the team was focused on innovation, which was divided into new business models. And then also emerging technology. So emerging technology was very much focused on artificial intelligence and automation, which is how I got introduced to Diane and Brainify. I'm a great partner. And so over my six years at Nestle, you know, really helped future-proof the enterprise, I'm really thinking about ways to bring new capabilities or leverage new technologies in order to enable a better consumer experience. And then I guess we're working like backwards, but before that, you know, I, had, I had my roots in uh, consulting um, as well as creative agency side. So now we've kind of come full circle where I'm back at an agency, you know, serving clients. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk more about, you know, any one of those topics that you may be interested in.
1: For sure. I can imagine that throughout your career, things must have been changing so much in terms of trends and technology. But before we kind of jump into that, what do you think is something that hasn't changed at all as a marketer?
2: I think that's a great question. And then definitely through my time and my career, I mean, I'm what they call a geriatric millennial or a (laughs) millennial old, which I prefer. Uh, But I'm 39. I turn 40 next year. And so I think, you know, it was interesting, you know, starting in the business, in advertising and marketing when I did, because as the resident millennial in the room, People would turn to me and say, all right, well, Facebook was launched uh, when you were in college. Like, how how do we communicate more effectively and more uh, genuinely and authentically um, on those platforms? And it's been interesting because over time, you know, the the focus has shifted to Gen Z, right? Um, Gen Z who operates, you know, very differently in a variety of ways from the previous generations. And so to get to your question of like, all right, well, what has stayed the same? Well, the reality is that human truths have, have remained the same, right? Although the technologies, the platforms, the way you engage with other people has changed, and we can certainly go down the path of asynchronous communication or micro communities or, or any of one of those topics, the reality is that people still want to connect. Yeah. People want to build communities. People want to feel valued, I do think things that have changed are how people engage with brands and how people engage with companies. But at the end of the day, like, you know, we only have so many hours in a day and and ways to spend our money as well that people want to feel like they get the value out of spending their dollars somewhere or supporting a certain brand.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think what you said is really important is that, you know, connecting with your with your consumer the same across millennials, gen z, whatever comes next. So, how do you make sure that you're staying on top of these trends? How do you go about, you know, figuring out what they are and figuring out what makes sense for your business?
2: Yeah. I mean, another another great question because in emerging tech and especially in digital innovation, there's something new in the landscape literally every day, right? Yeah. Um, You know, I like to remind people that Twitter is a bubble, but my Twitter bubble right now is really obsessed with NFTs, (laughs) so (laughs) a lot of money on JPEGs. And so what's what's interesting um, as a business is that you have to evaluate whether or not a piece of technology or something new that's happening is either interesting for your business or important for your business. Because I think a lot of us in the innovation space, we're just highly curious Right. Like there's stuff coming out every day. You want to learn about it. You want to find out what's interesting about it. And yet, again, like you have to be so focused in prioritizing your time and your focus because, you know, what may be interesting for you personally may not be important for your business. And so there are a couple of frameworks and tools that I like to use to help evaluate whether something is important versus interesting. So one of those things is the Gartner hype cycle. So the Gardner hype cycle is a, uh, a curve effectively that every piece of emerging technology goes, moves along. And there are, when things are at the peak of the hype cycle, that's when you know brands oftentimes, as well as like first movers are really in the press, they're really talking about something, right? And normally when something is peak of the hype cycle, that's actually where the gap is the widest between the excitement for a piece of technology and the actual maturity of the technology. Then things as they move along the curve, you know, they go to like the trough of disillusionment where I think the greatest opportunity is. And then they reach, you know, plateau of I think productivity, plateau of productivity is what it is, where that piece of technology reaches about 30 percent penetration or or adoption. It's it's important to use a framework like that, because if something is at the peak of the hype cycle, like, all right, well, this may make sense to issue a white paper or have a POV of some kind. But the real work is not going to happen until the, the technology is mature enough. And so depending on the industry that you're in, that also impacts the hype cycle because at Nestle, we were in food and beverage And when it came to food and beverage, that tends to lag in terms of, you know, technology adoption as compared to beauty or fashion, right? So beauty tends to really be a first mover. And then there are countries that are first movers, largely, you know, South Korea, Japan, like there are countries who are ahead of the curve when it comes to adopting the technology. So when you, so you, I tend to also do some research to say, all right, like what are some trends that are happening in China, knowing that they have very different dynamics but that could be adopted for the U.S. Like, where are the areas of opportunity there?
1: So when you're looking at the hype cycle, I found it super interesting that you said that the trough of disillusionment is the greatest opportunity. So could you explain that a little bit more?
2: Yeah, sure. So the way that I would describe it is that uh, I'll use QR codes. QR codes tend to be a really great example. So QR codes, when they first came on the scene in the U.S., which was after South America, I think it was already pretty adopted in South America. But when it came to the U.S., I want to say about, must have been 2013, 2012, something around there. At the time, everyone's like, all right, we're going to put QR codes on everything. But the problem was that you had to download a QR code reader. The reader was not embedded in your camera. So you had to download the separate app And once you downloaded it, brands weren't savvy enough to have a very clear CTA or even to create a really customized experience on the other end of that. So the consumer experience was really tough, I guess is the best word, because you would download this QR code reader, then you would scan this QR code, and you would just go to the brand website. So as a consumer (laughs) in your mind, you're like, why did I go through all this info? I've just (laughs) gone to the website. And so, you know, at the time, it kind of went into this trough of disillusionment where everybody's like, all right, well, QR codes were such a huge promise. This is awesome. It's like, oh, actually, like the technology and the user experience is not very mature. It's full of friction. You know what? QR codes are, you know, not going to do anything, right? Like we're just going to go move away from it. And then, but at the time, as people were, you know, their interest was going down. So into the trough of disillusionment, the technology itself was actually getting better. Because now QR codes are embedded in your camera in your native camera in your iPhone in and your Android, whatever it is. So now all of a sudden, all right, well, the technology better. And also people are more used to using them. And so I do think COVID kind of exacerbated the use case for QR codes because a lot of people had to figure out, you know, what is the best way to use this in a very short amount of time. And so I do think, you know. Barring a global pandemic, you know, you also have to get user behavior and expectations um, up to speed, especially in parallel with the technology maturing. So now, you know, restaurants are going touchless. Now, instead of getting a paper menu, maybe you have a QR code on your um, on your table on your dining table at a restaurant. And so you scan it and it's very clear what the expectation is, is that you will get a menu and it will help you do these things. You do not have to download another app. And so that's why trough of disillusionment is usually where the gap between expectation and the maturity of the technology is the thinnest. And so I do think that there's huge opportunity in starting to test there so that you can still get enough learnings and head start as that thing reaches, you know, a third adoption or a third household penetration.
1: For sure. I think that's such a great, great example. QR codes are definitely like the comeback that nobody saw coming. <laughs>
0: what if you could provide all of your consumers the most relevant digital experience with predictive personalization at the heart of your digital marketing strategy you can build meaningful relationships with consumers and grow your business quickly brainify's ai driven platform can help you at any stage of your personalization journey whether you're looking to collect data optimize customer journeys or curate predictive personalized experiences Using one line of code, Brainify integrates with any marketing tool you already use in just two weeks. Ready to learn more about creating personalized digital consumer experiences? Connect with us at brainify.ai.
1: So like you said, that there's so many technologies out there and they all kind of go through, you know, go through this cycle. What is something that you do personally to make sure that you are on top of understanding the technologies and and where they are?
2: Uh, That is such a tough question. You know, a lot of it is just natural curiosity, but a lot of it too is that I know I'm not going to be the expert on everything. Um, I know that a lot of the emerging tech, like we are not, no matter where I am or which company I'm with, we're not going to have the brightest minds in that particular topic in the company. And so I do think by having an extensive network, of people out in the field, building, founders, entrepreneurs, having a finger on the pulse of that um, and really being open to learning is probably the best way to learn for me and and to keep up to speed. And so that's a large reason um, of why I decided to go over to Common Thread Collective, to CTC. Because we are able to work with entrepreneurs really closely, helping entrepreneurs achieve their dreams and really, you know, working with these passionate people who are are building. And so, you know, I think there's always there's going to be drinking from a fire hose. Twitter is that for me. I think Twitter is probably the most underrated networking tool out there. You also, I mean, it's a double-edged sword. You also have to be aware that you are in a bit of an echo chamber at times. So, but I would say Twitter and like Google's your friend, right? <laughs> like you can literally Google anything. And and what, you, what Google will not do for you is to help evaluate the credibility of that article, right? And so that is where you have to use your human intelligence to say, all right, well, here is one perspective on something, especially a medium or, or even in you know news articles. It's like, all right, well, let me read a couple of these to kind of gauge and come up with my own point of view.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
2: I think that is something that is kind of underrated is that people will think that there's a single source of truth somewhere. But when it comes to new fields or emerging fields, there are often different perspectives. And you as a person, I think your strength and your strategic thinking
1: comes to life when you come up with a point of view or an opinion of your own. Definitely. I think, I think like you said, you know, technology and innovation is, is one of those things that you really have to create a process and a structure around it to, to be successful. You can't just kind of go chasing the, the fun, shiny objects because they sound cool. So what are some things that you've learned around effectively executing innovation?
2: (laughs) Man, you have all the tough questions. Uh,
1: <laughs> so I think
2: effectively executing innovation, the first step, there are a couple of first steps that are a do not pass go. One of them is to answer the why behind your doing something. Mm-hmm. So to your point about chasing bright and shiny objects, I do think that innovation, um, if there's ever... That's probably the loudest criticism of innovation is that often there's just this almost, uh, you know, people are just reacting to something, right? You're doing something for the sake of doing it. And so, my example would be, you know, ask the why. So, when someone comes to you and says, my brand needs an artificial intelligence, or oh, well, we actually will use augmented reality, right? Um, and then we can also like talk about the metaverse and stuff. But um, my brand needs an augmented reality experience. My first question to them is, why? Why do you think you need that? Because oftentimes people ask for the technology first rather than asking why you like what problem you're trying to solve, because the technology is just a solution to that problem. So I know we'll kind of talk about innovation projects that I'm I'm proud of, you know, throughout my career. And, and one of them, I'll use the example of Hagen So Hagenda's had a sustainability story around pollinator conservation that they wanted to tell. They wanted to tell it in a highly differentiated and immersive way. So this was years ago, but this is back in probably 2016. But we decided to create a VR experience around it, a short film, about four minutes, and we released it at Sundance. You know, we're very, very excited about it. But again, that was with the problem of, all right, how do we get people to care? How do we get people and transport them into this problem so that they can see it and they can feel it? and they can empathize with the honeybee, right? With pollinators rather than just merely sympathize. And so we didn't we didn't set out and say, all right, we need to do something in VR, what is that? We said, all right, we need to tell this story in a really differentiated way. What is the best way to do that? And so VR was a solution out of that. So, you know, that's an example of, hey, you start with the why of articulating the problem you're trying to solve. And I think the second part is being really honest about the innovation itself or the solution, So, you know, there's a difference between innovating a sustainable solution that will truly drive business impact. And there's also innovating for PR, innovating for the halo of innovation, for changing people's thoughts about what your company is or, you know, how it thinks. And there is no answer to which one is better than the other. I think they all kind of suit their own different roles. But I think you as a brand and as a business need to be honest about it. Now, if you're going to do this innovation um, or launch this project because you want the press, fantastic, right? Then your KPIs and your metrics, your performance metrics would be associated with earned impressions, with media outlets, whatever it is. But if your intention for that innovation is to create a new solution for a problem um, that will really drive business impact over a period of time, then the way that you build it, the way you talk about it, and also your associated KPIs are going to look very different. For sure. Yeah, that
1: makes a lot of sense. And so as you said, like these two things are the, you know, do not pass go, the, the line in the sand, if you will. And so what happens when you get past that? How do you kind of measure success? What happens if things aren't working? Like, where do you go from there to make sure you're successful?
2: Yeah, you know, I'll kind of answer that question in a slightly different way, too. Um, a lot of people ask me, they say, well, what happens if you fail? I'm like, failing is kind of the easy part, right? Because if you fail, you just write a wrap-up report and you move on to the next thing. You take your learnings, you scale your learnings, you know, you talk about why you failed, you set an example, and, and you're effectively done. The hardest part is actually success. Because then instead of scaling the learnings, you have to scale whatever that project was. And so at Nestle, you know, I oversaw 40 brands. So if we had tested something on one brand and it was successful, we needed to scale it across all 40 brands. And that looks very, very different. And so I would say, you know, the the challenge isn't in failure. The challenge is in success, especially when you're looking for a long-term, tenable, sustainable solution. Now, one of the biggest challenges when it comes to scaling innovation is stakeholder management, actually, and managing expectations. Because again, you know, we talked about the hype cycle earlier. I like to joke about the Elon Musk school of hype, where he puts a video out there of a very futuristic city. And then he uses that piece of uh, that piece of content and the vision to actually drive adoption and money generated to realize that vision, right? And it's a very effective way of selling through innovation. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to sell the vision, but you can't just leapfrog into the vision. And so another um, project that I was really proud of at Nestle was Ruth, our Toll House cookie coach. So she's a digital human who can help you bake your best cookie, right? And when we talked about her and building out the vision, we talked about her as vision or as version 15. So we would say, all right, well, in version 15, she would be able to do X, Y, and Z, Right. But let's all agree that what we're releasing February of this past year was version one. <laughs> yeah. So again, like, you know, you have to set expectations because it's really challenging because you're selling people on the vision and you're getting them excited. But you know that your MVP or your version one is going to be very far from that vision, because especially when it comes to technology, you are releasing updates all the time based on user behavior, data you're getting back, like you are constantly upgrading or up-leveling that piece of technology. So I think by being very honest with your leadership or whoever your sponsorship is, or whoever your sponsor is, is, hey, these are the things that she will be able to do or this will be able to enable. But what you're going to see in the first quarter, over the next year, over the next two years, is going to be this. And so what you're trying to do is paint a vision of the future, but also have very tangible next steps on what they can expect to see when. And so your metrics and your KPIs are actually going to be associated with this as well. So you know, going into a project, you have a hypothesis on what it's going to do, how it's gonna go, what you're gonna be able to track. But I've had many projects where we get past release and we're like, oh, the metrics that we thought we would be looking at to judge performance are not actually what genuinely you know, track performance. And that's okay. Like you have to be agile and nimble enough to make changes to, you know, it's kind of um, strong convictions loosely held, right? Yeah. You have to have a belief somewhere, but you're also allowed to change your mind depending on the new data that's coming in. And that's actually, you know, the beauty of innovation is that you get to really kind of, you know, pull the levers
1: on the machine to see what's working, what's not going to work. I think that's so interesting because I find that in large organizations, sometimes when you're launching an innovation, you have this level of perfectionism that you're trying to achieve. And so when you're looking at it that way, when you're looking at it like, okay, version 15 is XYZ, but what we're able to do today is this, this, and this, I think it sets up a really healthy approach to being iterative in how you set your goals and how you actually execute as well. That's amazing. As we think of wrapping up now, I know you shared a lot about, uh, you know, some of the projects you've been super proud of. What are some of the initiatives that you're working on now that you're super excited about?
2: Right now, I think it's more about, you know, we at CTC, we have this larger mission of um, helping entrepreneurs achieve their dreams and around this idea of profitable growth, especially when it comes to direct consumer businesses. And so, so it's funny because I was talking to my CEO, Taylor about this the other day, that a lot of the times when someone starts a business, it's not because they think there's like a high margin opportunity somewhere and that they're gonna be you know, profitable from day one, right? A lot of times it's about someone having the vision and having a dream and having a conviction A lot of these folks are very creative minded or they're trying to build a solution for themselves. And so there there reaches a point when you say, all right, well, this dream and this vision has become larger than myself. All of a sudden, I have this community of really passionate consumers and I am creating a product or a service that is making an incremental change in their lives. And they trust me and they trust me by buying my products, right? By giving me money, like that is their way to support the business. And so right now, you know, I'm, I'm very much, I, I'm very much in a new role. So part of it is just getting up to speed on kind of where the areas of opportunity are for the business. But also, as we look towards 2022, I think, you know, pure play e-commerce and D2C brands are going to have a challenging year. Um, you know, we talk about supply chain issues, we talk about further fragmentation of, you know, how many of, of the industry, right? Because, How many brands do you see on Instagram where you're like, oh, this is, I would love this. I definitely want this. And then you probably forget about it because you only saw it one time. And then you're like being pummeled with ads somewhere else. And so there's going to be a lot of things that, you know, we do um, to help our clients create profitable businesses that are achieving growth in a very, very tough year. So, you know, no particular project, but that's kind of like the macro focus, of you know where we can provide help and assistance um, with these businesses and with these entrepreneurs who have a dream that they want to realize, and so it's it's a real privilege to help them do that.
1: Yeah, honestly, that sounds so cool. I'm really excited for you.
2: Thank you so much. I'm excited too. I mean, I have um, my dad was a serial entrepreneur as I was growing up, and so there's something about that spirit and that belief that you can build something out of nothing that is really aligned with, you know, my values and and where I
1: think I can help. So yeah, stay tuned. There's going to be a lot coming. (laughs) I'm super excited to see what happens next. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for chatting with us today. It was lovely to have you and I'm excited for everyone to, to listen to everything you had to share.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me again. It was, it was really fun. I think the time passed much faster. <laughs>
1: for sure. I was, I was, I was like looking at our notes and I was like, oh my gosh, am I going to be able to talk to her for 20 minutes? But I could, I feel like I could talk to you for another half an hour, but I feel like you're probably busy. <laughs> see you
2: next time. We can definitely do a two.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Orchid. I hope you have a great day and we'll definitely keep in touch. Yeah. Sounds great. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Conventional Marketing, a Brainify podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you found this episode valuable, please rate, review, and share it. To learn more about creating delightful digital experiences, join us for the next conversation.